Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Brent Weinbach is an innovative and weird stand-up comedian, befitting of someone who won the Andy Kaufman Award in 2007. Since then, he has masterminded hit YouTube videos such as Gangster Party Line, Man Gives Birth, and Ultimate Drumming Technique. With DJ Doug Pound, Weinbach co-created and directed the streaming-nominated web series Pound House. Weinbach also has appeared on multiple episodes of IFC's Comedy Bang Bang and Comedy Central's Another Period. Even mainstream audiences have gotten to experience Weinbach, courtesy of his stand-up sets on Conan, Lopez Tonight, and The Meltdown with Jonah and Kamel. His stand-up special, Appealing to the Mainstream, originally debuted on CISO in 2017 and is now available on Amazon Prime. He also regularly headlines a show called Brent Weinbach and Friends at the Hollywood Improv, which is where I caught up with him in 2019. So let's get to it! As far as, you know, performance places. As far as a home club, the improv I mean, this is definitely, yeah, I'm here the most, yeah. Now, this is my, this has been the most, I've I've been here the most out of, yeah, since, for the the longest is what I mean. Mm -hmm. Not only the most, but also the longest. (laughs) I was in at this club, or, you know, before anywhere else. Right. How long have you been in Los Angeles? Well, I started coming down to do shows. I lived in San Francisco, as you probably know, um. But I started coming down to do shows more frequently in 2005. But, mm-hmm. um, but uh, no, I mean, I moved at the... I, I, I've been here 10 years now. Okay. I mean, f- full-time here, yeah. Because I was going to say, you were still in San Francisco the first time I saw you, which was actually in Las Vegas. Oh, at the... For uh, the uh, Andy Las- Kaufman. The, oh, the HBO Comedy Festival. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was... Yeah, that was great. That was that was a great time, that whole... T- doing the festival there at Caesars Palace. Yeah. Stuff. That was so. Uh, it was fun. <laughs> the accommodations were nice and stuff too. Yeah. Well, that was <laughs> and that was a very. That's actually one of my favorite. As a big, I'm, I'm really proud of that time. Actually, mm-hmm. that was a, a really a highlight of my of my comedy for to do that award and because of Andy Kaufman or because of the yeah. other comedians involved with it. Uh, yeah, I mean both. I mean mm-hmm. it was yeah it was uh, well it was yeah it was I mean I had. It was just nice to be, I, I felt, I was really proud to be recognized in that way, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Um, How long had you been doing comedy at that point? Um, so that was in... Uh, that was November of 07. Yeah, yeah. Um, so about six years or something like that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were you... Uh... <laughs> they can come through. <laughs> I know, no right? No big deal. Um, yeah, something like that. I mean, I started in the early 2000s, yeah. Okay. And you started in San Francisco. Are you from San Francisco? No, I grew up here in Hollywood. Oh, okay. That's why this really is my home, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, no, I, yeah, I, I grew up here. I, I moved to the Bay Area for college and then stayed in the Bay Area. You went to Berkeley, Yes, right? that's right, yeah. When you went there, did you already harbor dreams of being a performer for life? Or Yes, yeah. No, I mean, stand-up comedy in particular, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's something I always wanted to do, even in the 80s, watching stand-up comedy on TV, you know. Yeah. How did picking Berkeley fit into that? Well, it didn't. Um, but uh, I, I just—I mean, I mean, the I, Bay Area does have a long tradition with 
comedy and with stand-up in particular. Well, I, mean, I thought, so it's I, not... I th- when I was in high school in Los Angeles, I, I was thinking about doing it. And I was writing stuff, and I, mm-hmm. I wanted to do it. But, um, no, it didn't factor in at all, the Bay Area, or picking Berkeley. I mean, that just I kind of went to Berkeley randomly. Okay. Well, it was really because of music, actually. That's what was the factor. Okay, well, that makes sense. Because um, I played music a mm-hmm. lot in high school, and um, the uh, there was this this friend of a friend. I used to play music with these guys, and then this these other guys who were freshmen at Berkeley, and I didn't apply to Berkeley when I applied to schools, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but I did apply to some other UCs, and then. Um, all you have to do is check a box to apply to what. If you're a California resident, yeah. Well, if you, you if, if, not, if you're applying to UCs, you you're, you apply to all of them that you want to. So okay. you check the boxes. It's of a the common ones. application. Yeah, and so um, I didn't check the UC Berkeley one because I didn't think I wanted to go there. I really mm-hmm. wanted to go to Stanford actually, but um, but this guy was. Uh, I remember I was just. There was these musicians, these guys who played music in the, it was during, I think, winter vacation, Mm -hmm. and they were practicing in the same sort of practice space that uh, I I was using Mm -hmm. at this one point. And this guy told this friend of mine, he said, You got to get to Berkeley, man. And I I thought these guys seemed really cool, and they were just very musical kind of guys, and I thought, well, that seems cool. And the guy said, yeah, you got to get to Berkeley, to my friend. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, maybe I got to get to Berkeley, actually. Because I thought, oh, this, seem, this seems kind of fun and musical and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So then I th- I told my mom, I, was, I thought, you know what, maybe I should have checked that box for Berkeley, you know. <laughs> and so we called the admissions office and we and they we said, oh, we forgot to check the box. And mm-hmm. they, they let us. Oh, okay. They let us sort of check the box, mm-hmm. even though I had already submitted my application. Um, and then, you know, you pay the additional fee that it mm-hmm. costs. And, um, and yeah, that, and that, then I got in, you know, but, um, they, uh, so it was music though, really. Mm-hmm. And then, you know. Did you apply to Stanford? Yeah, I didn't get in. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I probably, I would have gone to Stanford if, right. if I got if it. If it had been between the two? Yeah, 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 yeah. And what kind of music were you playing at the time? Jazz. Okay. Jazz. Jazz. No, I'm just kidding. Well, you know, um, yeah. people often compare stand-up comedy to jazz. Do you find that an apt? No, no. <laughs> it's so different, I think, because, um, I mean, people might say there's the element of improvisation or mm-hmm. whatever, but the way in which you improvise is so different, I think. Or for me, this music is a very separate side, and it's why I rarely combine the two. Um, because I, even though I have, but... Um, a little bit, but for me at least, they feel really different because, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Music is just a more serious side, and, and comedy you can re- you get an immediate reaction, and you know exactly how well you're doing. With music, it's you can't really tell how how much people are appreciating you or not, you know. Sure. And um, but, I mean, even uh, when the song ends, they'll applaud no matter what. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it could be even bad, you know. So. Um, but with you know, it, it, there was a much more immediate response, and it's it's it feels a little more present in a way. Then again, you know, I didn't I I didn't do a ton of shows where I was sort of performing for an audience. So I did a lot of background stuff when okay. I was doing music. So I, I don't know. Did you, you know, do session work? A little tiny bit, not okay. really. You know, I mean, for just some independent artists in in the Bay Area. Had I, you I explored any of the comedy scene in L.A. before going up to Berkeley? Um. No, I no, but what, it, early in college, I went to the improv for the first time, mm-hmm. and you know that was the first time I went to a comedy show, and then uh, I also went to, um, I mean, yeah, I, I 
No, but when I start, as soon as I started, though, mm-hmm. during vacations, I explored the scene in Los Angeles a tiny bit okay. when I started in San Francisco in the early 2000s, but um, I, I didn't really, I mean, I just checked out some little shows here and there. I mean, it's funny, though, I do remember certain people, like Earl Skakel, he used to run a show <laughs> at, at this place called McReds, I think it was called in the Valley, mm-hmm. and I did do a set, I checked that out one time during a, uh, during a, when I was visiting for the holidays. Um, and that was like earlier on before I started coming here more right. frequently. You know. so this is what late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, your most recent special is called "Appealing to the Mainstream." Right. Did your early comedy try to appeal to the mainstream? Well, yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> kind of. I mean, I thought bef- at a certain point, I'd say, sort of in high school and mm-hmm. early college, I thought that comedy needed to. I kind of thought I needed to be like Seinfeld, you know? okay. And I and I and I like Seinfeld, you know. But I I thought I needed to be that way or be just, you know, like comedians that I saw. Even though I, I saw comedians that were maybe more, you know, not as con- conversational. I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw Stephen Wright on TV, and I and I thought he was cool and good. But and I and I and I loved Andy Kaufman too, actually, um, when I was a kid. But I didn't. But for some reason, I thought I needed to be more like Seinfeld or Paul Reiser or something. More you know? standard or, observational. Or, or Richard Jenny or something What's like that. What's the deal? Know? Even though the comedians that I, I liked the most were, I mean, Dana Carvey. Actually, I thought I needed to be like Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey was the person I really thought was the funniest and wanted to be like the most. Sure. But then again, I also really like Charles Fleischer. And <laughs> that he's pretty out there, you know? Right. And, and he's an old school Hollywood improv guy. Right, right, yeah. right. So but, you probably would have seen him your your first few shows here. Well, the first I remember, I remember the first show, the lineup on the show, the first show I saw here. But well, which, who was that? Well, it was Paul Goebel was was mm-hmm. uh, hosting it, and um, it's interesting because I I would later meet these people and do shows with them later, you know, after getting getting into it. And this was just you know this was just uh, like a year or two, a year or so before I started doing it myself, but. Um, yeah, so this was in the late 90s, and mm-hmm. I went and I saw Paul Goebel hosting, and his whole act was just he did TV trivia. Um, and then he, and then I remember this guy com- going on. I won't say his name because it, it's kind of funny how it ties in, but mm-hmm. I remember this guy coming on. I, I, I know his name, but I just can't. I'll <laughs> right, tell you sure. his name in a second. But <laughs> this guy came on. I remember he was wearing a blue polo shirt and, and jeans, and he came on and he, he opened his set by playing Benny and the Jets, the mm-hmm. beginning with Benny and the Jets, you know, the beginning riff. And then he went on and did his act. And that's mm-hmm. all I really remembered from his act was him playing Benny and the Jets in the beginning of his set. And then years later, my management company had a showcase. And um, the guy hosting the show, uh, well, you know, he, he had the same manager. Mm-hmm. And he opened his, he, he played Benny and the Jets at one point, and, and it hit me. Oh, and I had already knew this. I know this. I knew this guy already from doing stand-up, and we had the same manager. And I, and I said, "Oh, that's the guy that was on that first show I went to at the Improv." And this showcase was at the Improv too, by mm-hmm. the way. Anyway, it was Wayne Fetterman. Okay, <laughs> but um, and I told him that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you. I, that was the first show I saw, and you did that. You played Benny and the Jets. <laughs> um, but um, there was this one guy in the show who, whose name I always forget, and I always think his name is Rob, but it's not Rob. And I forgot even what his mm. last name is, but, but you know, Paul Goble. I asked Paul Goble who this guy was, and he told me his name, and I always forget it. But mm. anyway, I don't know what his name is, but no. he was he did, he was really funny though. Mm-hmm. He um, was tall. He had a baby face, but he was tall, and he had this whole act about urban comedy, and it was he did a whole recreation of an urban comedy show, hmm. and it was really funny. It was just he did all just the 
cliches of every of a, of all the elements of a of an urban comedy show, okay. like a Russell Simmons Deaf Comedy Jam mm-hmm. show. And it was so funny. It was so good. But um, and Mario Joyner was closing the show. Okay. And um, anyway, that's that's right. That's and Mario and Mario has toured for years with Seinfeld. So that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. were not too far off from that. Yeah. Oh, you can come. Come. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah please. Please. Um. um and. Um, and and also Mario Joyner, I didn't even realize at the time. I really liked the movie Hanging with the Homeboys. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but Sean Leguizamo's in it and Dougie Doug. And it was uh, a movie I liked a lot. And I remember. Um, and, it, and anyway, I didn't even put it together that Mario Joyner was the same guy who was in that movie. But anyway, but um, but going back to being wanting to be Seinfeld though right. is that I wanted to be. You know, I, I kind of felt like I needed to be more conversational or whatever, and. You know, just, you know, whatever the, the way that is. But at one point, there was a turning point in college when I realized I could be more abstract and didn't need to be. And then really it was this radio monologist I listened to in college a lot named Joe Frank. Okay. Who, uh, he used to produce shows at KCRW for a long time. And um, Well, he, he died, actually, not too long ago, actually. Oh. But um, he, uh, he's great, just this great Did you ever get to know him? Um, I met him once at Largo. Uh, he did some live shows there. I, I met him once there, mm-hmm. and I, I gave him my CD, which at the time I only had one okay. album, and it was my first album, which isn't very good. But I mean, or it's not—it's not that it's not good. I just is—I don't know. It didn't really doesn't really represent. It didn't—I don't know. But it was very inspired by him, mm-hmm. and um, I gave it to him. I mean, I'm sure he threw it out or whatever. But um, but yeah, I met him, and then uh, I did. Uh, anyway, yeah, I just met him once. But um, so I because of him. I kind of thought, I kind of identified with that more, and he's he's very sort of presentational and you know not conversational. And mm-hmm. I thought that's actually I think how I should do stand up is not be conversational. It, it always felt really unnatural for me to be conversational and be. Uh, you're doing well right now. What you're doing? Yeah, well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but on stage in front of when you're on a right. stage and you're not actually having a real conversation <laughs> with people. To me, it felt really forced, and it felt forced to pretend to be spontaneous on stage. I, I get that. So I thought, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to treat it like a, a performance and treat it like a presentation instead. And so that clicked for me really well, and that felt so much more natural. And that's when I felt like I figured things out a little bit. But So it was because of really Joe Frank. And then I kind of realized also, plus there's so many comedians that don't aren't conversational either and i don't need to do that so um so that was that but material i wrote with the sort of conversational voice in mind mm-hmm. is you see a, a glimpse of that actually in that special appealing to the mainstream which is this sort of you know it kind of responding to uh, a criticism of being seeming too stiff on stage or not seeming natural right is this sort of kind of generic kind of comedian kind of sort of character that talks about you know um you know if this person or this person had a baby this would look like and some other kind of classic you know jokes that you've heard a million times um or uh you know kind of like the indian guy at the convenience store or whatever the case may be you know just sort of you know hackneyed jokes and stuff one of the things that i like about both you and maria bamford is that you're definitely your own person on stage, but then you'll have moments where, like you said, you react to whatever the audience perception of you is, 
by going, okay, you want to see what a, I can do a traditional, yeah, 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 yeah. I can do what a traditional person does as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then, but then yet, I mean, I think that might, it might come across, I mean, well, intentionally so that Mm -hmm. me trying to do that is forced, you know, or is (laughs) is not natural in the Mm -hmm. end, you know? Um, and, but so, yeah. And, uh, but anyway, those, but I wrote those jokes. I wrote those, some of those jokes in high school and Mm -hmm. well, really early college. And those were, and, you know, just talking. About, I used to actually have more. There's more material about being half Jewish and half Gentile, and our Christmas would be kind of, you know, uh, have a be a combination. You know, there'd be Star David on top of the Christmas mm-hmm. tree here. There'd be little yarmulkes on top of the ornament, the bulb ornaments. And we had a Jewish Santa Claus visit, visit us instead of passing out presents, he bargained with us, and um, so on and so forth. And um, the and but yeah, anyway. So that but that that was really. But the, anyway, that that was trying to be this kind of. Anyway, you see what I was trying to be yeah. in that special. Anyway, I would also uh, suspect, based on my somewhat limited knowledge of San Francisco and its comedy scene, that you would be able to find a home for yourself there. The more abstract you got, the more it would be a welcoming place for you. That, yeah, I, th- those... I think I think so. But I think that maybe you know. But I actually, you know, every comedy scene that I've sort of, ex- you know, sort of gotten to experience just mm-hmm. from traveling or whatever and seeing what it's like there. It seems like there's uh, more experimental sort of areas for any in any scene, it seems like. Or I don't know, maybe I haven't really gone to the scenes that don't really have that Well, maybe much, now, but not so much in the, in, in the, in in the, the early, mid-2000s. In the turn of the century or whatever. Yeah. But the, um, I don't know. I, I guess, I mean, I wasn't traveling that much then. Right. I was really kind of staying. I mean, I did see Los Angeles, and Los Angeles... You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Los Angeles had a lot of creative comics and, you know, doing interesting things here. In the, I don't know, really. I, mean, I didn't explore too much. But, mm-hmm. um, but no, I mean, certainly San Francisco, I think, historically had always had a lot of, you know, kind of progressive comedy going on there, you know. Right. What do you remember specifically about um, that 2007 festival? In Las Vegas, uh, Carrot Top. I remember um, he was hanging out. Oh yeah, got, all a picture, the... got a picture with Carrot Top. Oh yeah, Chad Fogel. The other Vegas headliners came over to Caesars. Yeah, and uh, I saw Seinfeld at that festival. Actually, yeah, um, I, I there was the two biggest the two big headliners were Chris Rock and and Jerry Seinfeld. And right. So I saw Seinfeld. I didn't see. I don't think I maybe I saw a little bit of Chris Rock, but um, I watched the whole Seinfeld show, and then. Um, I remember, um, no, I don't know. It was just fun. I remember there was, um, I mean, I remember everything. I mean, I don't know. It was you know, the, the Andy Kaufman Award, and it was cool, you know, meeting his dad and, um, you know, his sister. I remember taking this shuttle from the airport with his sister. It was in the car, was Andy Kaufman's sister. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I remember it all. I mean, I remember, you know, I remember, actually, Chris Fair. I remember I, I, I was wandering around. It was my first time in Las Vegas, actually. Okay. And, uh I remember I was wandering around at different casinos, and mm-hmm. um, Chris Fairbanks was with me. We were kind of just walking around, and and then he was watching me kind of just lose some money and stuff. And just, uh, I don't know. I was trying. I was. I had never gambled before either. Actually, I was kind of trying that for the first time. I always wanted to save gambling until I went to Las Vegas, and I had never had a reason to go to Las Vegas until. That's that a good reason time. to go. Well, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, and it was. I mean, that was that was the best. That was the best year of the, of the Andy Kaufman Award because. It was funded by HBO, so they 
I don't know. It was just, they took care of you in, in a way. Right, and it was hosted by Reggie Watson, Kristen Shaw. Yeah, yeah. The two previous winners. and Yeah. It was yeah. a pretty stacked lineup, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, I think Paul Russ was on it and Will Franken and um, Kate Micucci and Mary Mack. Yeah. And um, no slotches in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, no. It was, so it'd be the most Andy Coffin <laughs> of that group. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was cool, yeah. And um, uh, I, I had submitted for the Andy Coffin Award prior to that. Mm hmm. Um, but wasn't accepted, and I'm glad it worked out that way because it would have been hard. It, w- it was in New York, and it would have had, I, right. I, I, I don't know. It would have been harder to get there and stuff. You know? Did you have expectations after leaving Las Vegas that that the festival and the award was going to do something for your career, and or, or um, were you just happy to be there? And yeah, I was just happy to be there. I mean, I I don't know if I thought necessarily. I, mean, I thought it would maybe help a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know if. Yeah, I mean, it, I thought it'd help a little bit. I didn't have huge expectations. <laughs> I had more expectations about something else that had happened a couple of years prior to that, but, which, yeah. I just, yeah. What was that? I just, I had this, there was this, um, I, I got this, there was this NBC diversity sort okay. of thing. Yeah, and, they do that every year. Yeah. Stanford and, for diversity. Yeah, so I, I did that and, you know, and I got a deal out of it and I thought okay. stuff, more stuff was going to happen out of that but not really <laughs> <laughs> well they do still give you money though right and yeah yeah they, they gave me money yeah but um it wasn't that much okay it was a holding deal and they, when did they, you start making uh short videos well I I didn't I started getting more into that more in the early teen, you know in the teens really you know oh, okay meaning 2010 and on mm-hmm. or whatever Actually, you know, that's not true, though. I mean, actually, no, you know what? We were making, I was making some shorts with with, with my friends, uh, Alex Cole and Moshe Kasher. We right, because he would some, email me every once in a while when you would make a video. Yeah, yeah, that was, and that was in the two, 2007 or so, 2006. I mean, actually, we started making, I mean, we always made videos, I guess, actually. 2004, I think we made, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, let me think. I mean, look, the, the real truth <laughs> of the matter is I was making stuff in college, too, you know, but... Um, but now, like around 2004, we made this thing called Reggie Whatever. It was, mm-hmm. I don't know, this kind of spoof of a tween kind of Disney Channel type okay. of show. And then, um, you know, it's kind of sporadically made some stuff. And then we, we had a little sketch group, Alex and Moshe, and, and I had a sketch group. And we made a bunch of shorts in 2007. And, you know, really, they, nobody really saw them. We put them on the Internet, but nobody really saw them. Okay. And then... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I made stuff every now and then, and actually, you know, Super Deluxe when Super Deluxe and the first incarnation mm-hmm. of Super Deluxe, you know, I had a little web series and stuff okay. for that. But I mean, it was only two episodes long. It was supposed to be seven, but they you know ran out of money. So um, right, but um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I was doing it in the two thousands, but I didn't really start. Do you still have those two videos, or did they disappear? No, they well, the new Super Deluxe, which is now gone as well. Right, they, that's why I asked. Actually, they might have. They they put up the classic Super Deluxe mm-hmm. stuff up on their channel, so they put the two shorts on as one video. Okay. But also, there were uploads also on YouTube that the editor had put up, and then I just combined the two to make it one short film, okay. and that was on my Vimeo page. So it's, okay. it's all been up. It's called so, you did, so you didn't lose anything when Super Deluxe? Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, we didn't... I didn't I didn't get to make the other five that where I was going to so make. So you lost the... Yeah, yeah. The, there were scripts for a couple of them, but yeah. 
Um, did you ever pursue making them somewhere else? Or? I, th- I did, I did, but mm-hmm. it didn't end up happening, yeah. But yeah, the, it's called Weinbach and Wonderland. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. uh, at what point did you hook up with um, DJ Doug Pound? Yeah, so we, well, we had the same, you know what? I wonder if there was the same showcase that Wayne Fetterman hosted, <laughs> but he was briefly with the same manager okay. as me, and I remember he did some opening thing before the host mm-hmm. that was a DJ thing or mm-hmm. whatever. And I, I think maybe that was the same showcase. Maybe not. But um, I think, oh, I first met him actually at the Steve Allen Theater, I think in 2005 or six, And it was the Tomorrow Show. Right, Ron Lynch's Ron show. Lynch's show. And uh, yeah, I just, just sat there and this guy came up to me and he said, oh, hey, I run this show in Glendale. And he... He gave me his phone. He gave me his phone number on a piece mm-hmm. of paper, <laughs> and um, but at the time I kind of felt like Glendale was kind of far, kind of far. You came from Glendale today, yeah. Um, I felt <laughs> like it was kind of far. I wasn't as I never really hung out on the east side as much growing up, and okay. I didn't really. I always thought Glendale was kind of far, but and then I kind of thought anyway. I never did it, and then I kind of heard that it was a, a challenging show, and I kind of thought I don't know if it'd be worth my time to go to Glendale to do a challenging show. Challenging in that. It was at this kind of dive bar, and mm-hmm. you know, it was just a lot of local drunks that would just be yelling out a lot, and there was a train that would go by and make it hard to hear and stuff. And I just thought, I don't know if I want to, you know, kind of spend time drive going to Glendale and then doing this kind of challenging show. So I never did his show, but that's where I first met him. And then we did, then I met him again when we did that showcase together. But I don't know, somehow around 2010 or something like that we started you know what it was i saw him do a set and i thought oh he's he's really he was i really liked him i thought he was really funny mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of where i saw him i don't know i just saw him around a couple times do a couple sets maybe one of them was in portland actually okay maybe he was working on portlandia or something and i was up there doing some shows mm-hmm. and then he was on the show i was doing it was at reed college and because this there's these other guys that were up there that I knew. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But um, I saw him, and I, I liked him, and then I saw him again. Anyway, I, I, we, we were just we, – we started hanging out and talking more, and then we talked about um, making a video at one point, and I don't know, we got together and thought of this idea about this guy trying to sell a beanbag. Anyway, we started making – anyway, that was the first – we didn't realize it was going to be a web series, but we made this video, and um, – then ended up turning that into a web series, but yeah, so we started doing more and more stuff together. That was Poundhouse. Yeah, Poundhouse was the web series. Yeah, and but, did you get affiliation for that with any a what? company? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Jash was okay. Jash. So basically, um, you know, we made the one video, mm-hmm. and it was just really meant to just be a one-off thing. And then mm-hmm. um, Tim and Eric really liked it, and you know, kind of said that they should. You know, they told Doug you should do this with Josh or whatever, mm-hmm. and so um, you know. And then we ended up doing it with Josh. Yeah. So Josh was the company. Him. I don't know what they're doing now, but for a brief period of time, it was like hosting videos and web series from Reggie Watts, Tim and Eric, Sarah Silverman, Michael Sarah, Michael Sarah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, then they had this thing called Buh, which was kind of associates of them okay know, friends friends of, of friends of them you know friends, friends of, of the main those are the main people mm-hmm. and then Bo was this the subsidiary or whatever. so poundhouse fell under Bo. yeah it did yeah and um 
Yeah, I feel like at first the the two web series that were on there were were Poundhouse and and uh, this thing called Catherine, which uh, was Jenny Slate oh, yeah. and um, and uh, and um, um, Dean Fleischer Camp, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, which is good. It's a really good web series, Catherine. Um, but um, yeah, so that was that. Yeah. Did you go to the Streamy Awards? Streamy Awards. Yeah. For <laughs> To see if Poundhouse would take home any, I did actually. Web series oh yeah, yeah, we got nominated. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did go, and uh, I don't think Doug went, but I did go and didn't win. But mm-hmm. yeah, I went. Yeah, it was at YouTube, I think. What did you What did you make of being in a room full of web series creators and personalities? Know, it was kind of silly. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's just I was kind of. Is it? I don't know. It's a kind of a different scene kind of right you know. that's um i don't know i just went with my friend and i told him this might be kind of silly but we mm-hmm. just i don't know we just checked it out to see what it was like you know okay I don't know. no big whoop you know <laughs> it's cool <laughs> now, with- they had a big projection on this mountain of the youtube symbol mm-hmm. <laughs> now with appealing to the mainstream where did that initially come out on CISO. CISO. okay yeah. that's another <laughs> anything another, I t- anything I touch another great somehow. another great idea that yeah. that um went out of business due to lack of funding. Yeah. Um did you have I know some it got re-released on Amazon. Right, but, some yeah. specials went straight to Amazon and some were were in limbo for a while. Did you have Mine was in limbo for a little bit, yeah. I think. Yeah, it was I think I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was a period of time, several months, when it was anywhere to be. Did you have to do anything yourself personally to get out of limbo, or was that more? No, it was like wrangling by agents and. No, I just comedy dynamics just sort of did it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, no, I didn't. I didn't do anything. (laughs) I just sat there in limbo myself. You know, Hmm. I was kidding. Um, But yeah. What What has your experience with all of these? companies taught you about the way the comedy business is and money 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 no just kidding (laughs) no yeah but it's true though i mean money is uh you need money (laughs) nah you know i mean sort of but um no i don't know it hasn't taught me anything really i mean i don't know just uh has it changed the way you pitch projects i know you're you know, you're pitching projects now yeah um no i no i wouldn't say that i'm trying to think of I mean, yeah, things going out of business. I mean, I, like knowing I always, the way the business works, I always think from firsthand experience when there's a new online service or something mm-hmm. or platform, I always think that it's probably not going to last. You know, just because a lot of they pretty much people people want to be you know they want to have something as successful as Netflix, mm-hmm. but it just I, I you know. It seems like it doesn't always. It doesn't work. I mean, none of, a lot of these things don't seem to. I mean, is Crackle still around? Or? Uh, they s- recently sold, and no, they're part of something else now. Yeah. So yeah, because I was on a web series with Crackle also at one point. Yeah. Okay, that's another one. Yeah, yeah and I. Uh, I think once Jerry Seinfeld left Crackle for Netflix, so was that was comedians in cars getting coffee on that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was originally a, a Crackle uh, original. Interesting. Yeah. And then Netflix threw some money <laughs> so yeah i mean i just feel like like there's a new one i'm not gonna even say what it is 
and they're apparently putting money into this stuff. And okay, they're apparently taking risks, and I'm I'm probably going to pitch to them actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, but <laughs> but your knowledge of the business means I'm not going to mention the company's name because by the time this podcast comes out, they might not be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't. Have, I always think okay, they're putting money into stuff, mm-hmm. and they're taking these risks or whatever. But I I bet it won't last in a way. I mean, it, it, the, it, the likelihood is that it probably won't last. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's just a. I don't know, maybe even kind of a fluke somehow that Netflix became such a big deal, you know, right? In a way, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, maybe with the, the whole DVD thing. When, when they were doing the DVDs, the hard DVDs, yeah. do they still do the hard DVDs? Yes, they yeah. do. You can you can still have that subscription. That, I guess that was maybe what helped too, I think, you know? Maybe. Mm, my own personal sense is... Part of it is just being the first to take that big plunge. Maybe so. Because maybe Amazon <clears throat> Amazon was losing money for years, mm-hmm. but just kept growing yeah. and kept doubling down on it, investing just, in the company. Right. It just Amazon was so big as a, as a shopping place, too, that it just maybe that had something to do with it. Right. And I think and Netflix Hulu. is taking the same approach where they're just pouring so much money into it that it almost can't. Fail because but I just I yeah it's weird because there's so much CISO, content to watch. CISO should have CISO was funded by NBC, and shouldn't that just have con- lived? You know, continued to live. Well, NBC gave up on it. I guess that I guess that I, I think that's the thing is people just give up. Right. Whoever's funding it, Super Deluxe was funded by Turner, mm-hmm. and so I guess they just eventually give up on the thing. Right. I guess is what it is. I mean, Funny or Die is still around, but they're more focused on yeah they're trying they're to be, do more, more TV stuff. Yeah, they're now, more. Yeah. F- Focus on being a production studio. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Than being a web right. platform. Well, now they don't even have their own uploads on their site anymore. It's just YouTube, yeah. embedded YouTube videos. So they've kind of given up on <laughs> uploading. But now they just have their own, you know, they just use YouTube. Yeah. YouTube, that's the thing. It's like there's sites that try to be, be like YouTube. And for some reason, their players are just not as good. Right. They don't. You know, for example, well, I'm not going to say, but certain sites, certain you know, big company sites mm-hmm. have these players that they're so bad. They don't. Why don't they just do the same? I don't understand why they just they just do the same kind of coding, but make it look a little different as right. YouTube because YouTube's so smooth and easy, and especially with the ability to embed the video somewhere yeah. else. But these videos on these other sites, they're so choppy and just they, the buffering and all everything is so bad. Or they autoplay. Yeah. They're just bad. I don't know why they, they don't just copy YouTube. Copy YouTube exactly. <laughs> so easy. I guess the Facebook videos are not bad, I guess. Mm. You know, the new spot right now to upload videos is Twitter, it seems. Yes. I don't know what they did to change their well, coding for that. I, but I, Well, the reason why I say that is because they get, it seems like they get passed around. If you upload a video to Twitter, yeah. if it's short, if it's under two minutes... That's a good place to for it to get passed around. It seems it also in 2019 has become more and more popular for people to create their own video s- snippets, which of course they're stealing copyrighted content from TV or movies. Usually. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I had, but there's, I had a video there seems that, to be no policing of that because oh yeah, it's and all also in, yeah, there's yeah, there's there's there aren't any uh, there's kind of less rules there <laughs> and less censorship rules too, right? Um, but um, yeah, I've had some videos that I uploaded to YouTube and Facebook and didn't didn't perform great. But mm-hmm. then on Twitter, I tried it, mm-hmm. and 
I've had it, this happen with two videos now on Twitter. They're shorter videos, and those did a lot better there, significantly a lot better than on the other places. Well, Twitter, I'm just thinking about my own experience with Twitter. Twitter seems to be a place where people don't want to click out. Like, if you put a link in your tweet... Yeah, they won't want to click on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and leave Twitter. They want but to also. They want to stay in the. They want to stay in Twitter. In Twitter, yeah. but the videos you can do that. Well, you know what else too is, these sites don't seem to help spread things from other sites. You know, seems yes, like they, it's very parochial. Sites, they they want if you upload to their site, they make it. I don't know. I think they make it more <laughs> visible somehow. Definitely, it seems like there was a change in the early teens. Mm-hmm. If you. Videos could be viral. YouTube videos could get viral on on Facebook, but then now it's you, right. Once you Facebook- got you got to upload your video to Facebook if you wanted to get, have a chance of being viral. Yeah, that was a Facebook explicitly decided to promote Facebook video over yeah any other video. Yeah, and so if you upload, if you try to sp- spread a YouTube link on Facebook, it's not going to be seen that much yeah. by people. It's kind of annoying, but. I mean, it's annoying that you can't have all your videos in one p- spot now. Right. You got to have them up all over these different <laughs> sp- spaces. It's, you know, I like I want everything in one spot. You, mm-hmm. know? you know, the best side of all of them is Vimeo, actually. But this is, you know, they allow for the most. Right. I don't know. Create. You know, they, there's no censors really. Yeah. But yeah, Vimeo's good. You know, I've got some Vimeo exclusive videos. Up. So, okay. That you can only see on Vimeo. Yeah. Oh, very so. nice. So at this point in 2019, like we just said, you're you're pitching some projects right now. Are you fo- focused more on creating series or on stand-up or on these one-off projects, these videos? All of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to, I mean, the, well, the, I mean, they all kind of bleed into each other, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, doing... Getting getting a TV show or whatever, I mean, mm-hmm. that's going to just help with stand-up. You know, it's going to help with touring at least. You know, and um, and internet stuff too helps with touring. You know, but um, yeah, so it's kind of uh, I mean, it's focused on all of it. You know, but you know, it's all connected too. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I mean, you know, certainly I you know I'd like to be doing more TV and film stuff. You know, and yeah. That's also, I mean, I, you know, for a little while, I was kind of getting burnt out on going on the road all the time, and okay. so doing more video project stuff that's that I, where I could stay home for mm-hmm. a little bit is was I, I kind of started to prefer that, you know. Have you thought about getting married? I mean, that's what Moshe did, and now he goes on the road with Natasha. I have always <laughs> thought about going, getting married, and I, I just need to find the wife. You know? mm, who does stand up? He just, I guess, got to yeah, got to steal Natasha away. I guess, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, I to, um, no, I, I uh, no, I, I wouldn't want to marry a comedian. You know? No, no. <laughs> I don't know. Would you? Well, I don't perform, so it's maybe you would. Then I guess I probably would. Yeah, but um, no, I wouldn't want to marry. I mean, look, it works for them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, certainly. But I, uh, no, nah, I don't know. I don't wouldn't want to marry a comedian. I mean, look, I mean, actually, if look, I would marry a comedian if she was the right match but mm-hmm. i think that i don't know i kind of i don't know oh well, whatever i'm i'm not I'm, cl- I'm not i'm open to it so if you started out thinking you were going to be like seinfeld and then you 
went away from that and became more abstract and more of a performance artist kind of comedian. But now it seems like you may be coming full circle again <laughs> by by working on making shows and doing stand-up and video projects. Well, I mean, I you know, I mean, I, I still will never... Um, no, I mean, there's... I mean, his career is is something that I think anyone would want to start mm-hmm. to emulate to some degree. But um, as far as stylistically, though, I mean, it's I'm not I, I, I wouldn't say it's I'm I'm trying to really be like Seinfeld. I mean, I, I'll never really be. I don't I, I still feel it's, it seems artificial to be conversational on stage, mm-hmm. you know, um, and or for me, at least. And it's not natural. And I'll always be more more presentational you know or and deliberate mm-hmm. um as a performer or a stand up at least you know but as far as um making shows or creating goals things, and hopes and dreams and game well, plans sure i and, mean i think any anybody kind of follows you know kind of follows that kind mm-hmm. of that uh structure or whatever you know right well what what advice would you give to a uh a young buck. A young buck, yeah. Um, Getting into it now. I mean, the business has changed so much. It's so different, totally. Oh, no, no, it's no problem, yeah. It's, 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 uh, we like the ambience. ambience. <laughs> it's different. Um, the uh, young bucks, it is so different now. I, because, I mean, you know, when I started comedy, there was no, there was no YouTube, obviously. There was no... Internet. There wasn't really even internet in a way. I mean, I just, I didn't even, I didn't even have a computer actually. I, I used, and I hardly, I just, I would go to the library to do email, you mm-hmm. know, and that's, I would just do my email there. That's <laughs> it, pretty much. Um, I mean, the, there was. I'm trying to think of. Uh, it's so different because that that outlet is. I mean, all these social media things is such an outlet now. But, right. Um, yeah, it's weird. I mean, even, gosh, just the the whole process of putting on shows is so different now and promoting online is so different. I used to put up flyers all over town and, you know, I would post them up on poles and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, bulletin boards at at coffee shops and stuff. Um, And I would cut all these flyers at at, uh, Office Depot or Mm -hmm. Office Max or whatever. And, um, but, uh, so advice for the young bucks is that, well, I still think, though, if you're starting stand-up, mm-hmm. that you should be doing, you know, at least five sets a week, you know. I mean, if you're doing open mics, you know, at least five. Do five to nine sets a week, you know. Or maybe just, you can do five. You, if you do five a week, you're fine, actually. Mm-hmm. Take a day off, too, you know, <laughs> if you want, you know. I don't know. Maybe not, actually. But um, I'm trying to think of... Uh, I don't know. I don't really have advice. Just do it. People people get success from so many different ways. Advice for young bucks doing mm-hmm. comedy. I mean, to me, the most important thing is knowing your voice. You know, knowing it doesn't even matter the material. It's like if you know your voice, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, the way you present yourself, your stage presence. That's that's the most important thing, more than the, the what the material is. Because after that, the material will just it'll very easily fall into place because if you know how to say it, it's knowing how to say things in your voice is more important than what you're saying, you know? So how it's the how, um, and knowing your voice is just sort of knowing who you are or a side of yourself that you really want to highlight and project on the stage. 
and exaggerate on stage. And exa- doing a caricature of yourself or a side of yourself, that's, I think, an important thing for a young buck to know, <laughs> to know what to do when they're doing stand-up. And um, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so as far as business, I, I don't know. I mean, there's whatever. Do whatever you do. But, you know, yeah, uh, the voice. That's important. The voice. Well, apparently just not. watch the voice. <laughs> watch the voice on uh, on ABC right? or is it Fox? I think it's on CISO. Oh, it's on CISO. Yeah, yeah check it out on CISO. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brent Weinbach, you uh, have a very distinct and hilarious comedy voice, and thank yeah. you for sharing it. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks thank you for saying that. Thank you for having me. Awesome. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.